Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who doesn't mind stealing bread from the mouths of decadence, but he's going hungry. He's the man who calls me a dog. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest who's also a listener of the show. He's a singer-songwriter, but also the staff, uh, the senior staff writer for the Stereo Embers magazine. Please welcome to the podcast, Sean Brown. Guys, this is great. Really, really excited. Welcome. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. So premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all important question, Wayne, starting with you, what t-shirt are you wearing? Uh, You know what? I didn't even realize I had this, but I wanted something that tied in. I know Andrew Wood was uh, the day before or the day after he died, he was supposed to actually meet Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. I'm wearing my one and only kiss shirt. All right. Was that was that because we talked about Kiss a little bit on the last episode? Oh uh, no, I was trying to I was trying to find something that somehow ties in, and I was digging through some shirts trying to. I forgot I had it because I always I kind of wear it like as a pajama. I had some <laughs> some matching pajama Kiss <laughs> pajama pants. So, all right, perfect. All right, how about you, Sean? What T-shirt are you wearing? Oh, it's uh, the, the selection process was was difficult uh I, I i wanted to be the guy that could throw on the the temple of the dog uh 2016 tour shirt um but i just i couldn't do it um i, I couldn't be the guy that shows up to the to the gig in the in the van shirt um, we wouldn't but, we wouldn't judge yeah i just I, I you know it just didn't feel right um however i i was able to dig out my uh my mother love bone shine EP vintage, uh, um, figured yeah, the adjacent adjacent shout out was appropriate. Uh, Well, I'm, I'm also doing the adjacent shout out then as well. So I'm, I'm wearing, uh, one of the, one of the two Soundgarden t-shirts that I, that I have. And this is from their, uh, their last tour. Um, I got to see the Chris, what two weeks before, he passed away. So nice. Um, all right. Well, um, I mentioned in the intro that uh, you are also a a listener. We've been trying to do this for a couple months, and um, we finally got our schedules to coincide. I finally. Uh, so I, I will say this for for the last several episodes, it's been um, that we've recorded. It's been people that I've kind of um, said. I'll try and find a spot in the schedule for you and just hasn't really happened. So I just said, you know what? Screw it. Um, People who um, have reached out to me, we're just going to get them on the schedule. So here, here you are. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, Not, not to mention that having to tackle this behemoth of a record. We, We were talking offline before we, we started that, uh, you know, it's doing this on a regular basis. We we always tend to have a little bit of um, scorer's remorse. I know I do, Wayne. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I even yeah. had to send yeah. in some adjustments. Yeah, you, you, you sent me you sent me a couple adjustments this morning to your scores. 
And and actually, you you screwed things up because now there's like a, a three way tie for um for fifth because of uh, because of, well we'll we'll get to that I'm I'm, jump, I'm jumping the gun yeah all right so 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 Sean tell tell yeah. me tell me your story so we we were talking offline before um you know you're you're familiar with the Northwest you you oh, yeah. lived up there um grew up uh, there uh, for many years. Wayne and I are both from that area and we were chatting about high schools and whatnot. Um, so, so tell me about your journey. You're, you're from the Northwest originally. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in Seattle. Um, and then, uh, we, we lived, uh, a couple different, couple different of those cities, specific Northwest cities before, uh, moving out to Boise, Idaho. You know, everybody says, uh, that they, well, I guess maybe not everybody, but the, you know, people tend to believe that they they come up in the in the the most perfect era of music. Um, but you know, I I'm pretty confident when I say that I was could not have been in the middle of any of that at a better time. Um, I was a, a freshman in high school in 1990, so we were uh, you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade those middle school years. We were you know my big brother was sneaking me into into those little Seattle clubs to see any number of those bands with, you know, seven people. Um, and that, you know, to say that's formative, uh, put, put it mildly. Yeah. You sent me, you sent me the list of, uh, here, here are some of the records that uh, I can yeah. talk about. And, um, anytime somebody sends to me on their list, Hey, I want to talk about a Posey's record. You, yeah. We're all we're already kindred spirits. Because. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was uh, doing um, uh, some press earlier this week, um, and we're you know influences inevitably, inevitably come up. But I was I remembered though that in in seventh grade I was gifted, uh, or maybe it was eighth grade, was gifted like you know the proverbial box of cassettes um, uh, from like you know older brother's buddy you know the like cool cool friend um and you know when i think about the the tapes that were in that you know it was probably seven or eight tapes but it was literally it was replacements don't tell soul it was pixies do little it was allison chains you know stone Temple pilots or no not stone Temple pilots but uh stone roses um and posies were in there yeah so that's that get that gets you that gets you started pretty well that's a good start that's yeah. a really good start. Yeah. So, you know, we, uh, that was kind of the, the formative time. And then I, you know, started, um, releasing music in, uh, it's 1999 was maybe my first release. Um, and had a, a pretty interesting career as a touring musician, but then transitioned into, um, songwriting and publishing deals in Nashville. Um, yeah. did that for a while. And, um, yeah, that, that sort of seamlessly transitioned into writing more regularly about music. And, um, there you go. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the journey. So you 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 mentioned that you've put out a couple records. I I yeah. checked out I checked out a few of the 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 things that that are on uh, on Spotify. You you kind of mentioned that not everything is up there right now. No, yeah, I uh, it's anything that's up there now is only recently there. Um, I imagine my story is not dramatically different than a lot of people um, that have had a very difficult time getting control over their own music. Um, 
you know, year, years later. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically just as, as simultaneously simple and complicated as that. It just, it wasn't, um, didn't have access to some of my earliest releases, um, through, through different deals and things like that. So, is that um, labels or was yeah. that public publishing deals? Uh, both incidentally. Both? Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, even in the last year, got, got access to a couple of those releases, um, that I was able to, to then post, um, which it had been a long time. So that, that actually felt pretty good. It's kind of nice to have some of that stuff out there again. Is it because most of those labels, I've talked to a few people where they're like, yeah, I haven't been able to get my stuff because that label no longer exists. I don't know who yep. the hell owns it. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's, it's, you know, yeah, in that process where all the labels ate each other up, um, yeah. it can be quite a treasure hunt trying to trying to track down. I mean, especially, you know, an artist of, of sort of my, my size, um, as far as the, you know, my reach, even at my, you know, whatever we would call my busiest, um, you're, uh, you know, it's certainly those, those masters and records certainly wouldn't have been high on anybody's priority list. Um, so, <laughs> so putting a finger on them, uh, you know, some years later is, uh, yeah, proven, proven to be super difficult. Were you part of that kind of group during early two thousands? I know the labels were, were all trying to find like the next, the next singer songwriter guy. Like there was, there was a whole bunch of guys that, that kind of came through there. And, yep. um, uh, ironically next week, Wayne, we're, we're talking to one of those guys, um, Josh, Josh Kelly, who, oh, there you a, go. he had yep. a couple, couple hits in that, in those early two yeah. thousands, but all of them were fine. Trying to find like the next Sean Mullins or trying to find the yep. next Mac, Mac Carney or, or yep. what have yeah. you. And, so you were part of that group. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, gosh, you know, it, it's pretty incestuous sort of touring groups. Uh, when you start listing names like that, it's, you know, my mind flashes back to, you know, not uncommon to, to be on a tour with, you know, any number of those guys, uh, or combinations thereof, you know, the, uh, the, the Jason Mrazes or the Gavin DeGraws or the, 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 Matt yeah, Carnes. I forgot about those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, Nathanson was in that group. Um, Nathanson was totally in that. Um, and then, you know, yeah, it's like the Jack Johnsons that, I mean, it all, it all generated, uh, basically from, from Mayer, um, you know, John Mayer and, and sort of his popping through on, yeah. on, even on his aware records stuff before he was major label was sort of, yeah, it was like, they're trying to find the next the acoustic singer songwriter guy. And I, I certainly was lumped into that. Uh, so was it, so was it mayor that they were all trying to emulate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, certainly, certainly once he proved that you could sell a bunch of records. Um, I think, I think the vast majority of the, the, the ladies and gents that followed um, were, Kind of, yeah, trying to trying to emulate that um, in some way. Yeah, Josh Kelly too. That's a that's a name from the past. Yeah, C- great records. His his new record is really good. Is it? I, I haven't heard anything yeah. from him in a while. I know he's continued to be really busy and and became a um, he's really busy in in Nashville uh, doing country yeah. co writes. Uh, great guy. Yeah, it's really it's really good. I I really dig it. 
Um, and I and he kind of fell off my radar for a while, yeah. and then um, his PR person is somebody that we've we've worked with, and um, she brought up his name. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, that'll be a fun episode. You guys have fun with it. Yeah, it it should be good. And we're talking about the band. Oh, nice. Yeah, good call. Good rest. Be tough. Uh, be tough. Tough scoring any of their records. Oh, there's there's going to be some scores remorse definitely for me <laughs> yeah. on that one too. Oh yeah, yeah. So so with all the touring that you did in uh, in the early 2000s, so so what what were some of the people that you got uh, paired up with that uh, you know you you have fond memories of? Oh, God, I mean, endless. Um, when you when you think about it now, it's like a, it's like the rogues gallery of of all those folks. Um, did uh, actually did some early touring in Europe uh, with Mraz, um, just as he was starting to get going. So small, small but very packed clubs. Um, that's some of the most fun I, I ever had was was opening those those shows um yeah it, you know it, boy the, the list is long uh so many good people but so many fun personalities i mean again you guys are are are, are super familiar with um san francisco zone matt nathanson as a the personality that he is not to mention absolutely kind of fun to spend some time with him um which which i was lucky to as well um, on some of those, he's, those he's my favorite tours. guest. He's my oh, favorite guest. Yeah, I mean, what a what a tremendous guy all around. I don't know if Wayne agrees with me, but I, <laughs> I, 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 he's right up there. I had a lot of yeah. fun with Lowe, but yeah. oh wow, there's another name. Um, yeah, just fun, you know. I just it's in in those days you're kind of referencing that Ben, you know that. There was that those really interesting couple of years in the beginning of two thousands where that acoustic singer songwriter thing was was really happening, and you could be a real kind of mid level um, artist um, in that era and stay really busy because mm-hmm. they packaged the tours. Uh, you know, it was easy to package the tours. I mean, you could put three or four artists on a bill. Um, and everybody's, you know, everybody's just rotating out on stage, you know, to play their 40 minutes on piano or acoustic guitar. Um, and that's a pretty straightforward tour. And it seemed like a lot of those guys were getting good placements in, in oh. various TV series. I mean, I, yeah. I found Matt Hires because yeah. of, of uh, I don't know if it was Scrubs or if it was one of the other shows that I, that I that I watch, but, um, I'm re I'm watching for the very first time. Thanks to, um, you know, being quarantined, I'm watching Cougar town for oh, the first go. time. And Matt, Matt, Matt has a couple songs. Matt hires has a couple songs yeah. in, in that, in that as well. And I'm like, you know, I, I should probably reach out to Matt. Cause I know he's yeah. still doing it. Oh he's yeah. Still doing it. Yeah. Great songwriter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those placements were the, I mean, I mean, early on it was, it, people were a little slow to kind of figure that game out. Um, but, but once you got going on it, um, that, that made all the difference. Um, but it, it incidentally, my, my crowning achievement from a placement standpoint was, uh, 
very prominent placements on uh, Laguna Beach <laughs> on, on MTV. Uh, that was that was that was about the best the best I ever did. Hey, you know, that's uh, that's that's more than any placement I've ever gotten. So yeah. it's a, it's all good. Yeah, still it was. Uh, I know yeah. you're not you're you're not posting that on your website and, and touting <laughs> that as a resume credential, but no, it's, not, it's not on the top of the list, no. But yeah. uh, I remember it actually uh, being quite impactful. Uh, you know, ironically enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Any of those places were great, but they it it uh, boy it got competitive fast. So you went from performing to songwriting. Yep. And yeah. any any songs that we would know? Um, you know, that's a really good. That's a really good question. Um, you know, nothing of note um, as far as you know pop pop stuff, but you know, it's just a lot of country, a lot, you know, a lot, capital L, um, of country co-writes. Um, I actually ended up having a really interesting time because. I became a fixer. Um, so it's another way to say an editor. Um, so I, I actually would come in to, to get my brain picked about finished songs um, and sort of production ideas about where they might, you know, where they might take the song. Um, okay. So I, I, I worked on a lot of that um, side of uh, the, the way they produce records in, in that town. Um, so a little bit different. Um, I mean, I was always doing co-writes just because that stuff's pretty fun. Um, yeah. But I, I probably was busier on that the sort of front-end production side than anything else. So, so with that, did, did you not decide to go the production route? You ended up going the, the, the writing route? Yeah. I... It, I it, if I'm if I'm being completely honest, I'm I'm just not a I'm not a country guy. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't my kind of bread and butter. Um, what was interesting was at that time, and you still see it now when you really track who the prominent songwriters are, um, uh, especially in in what what passes as country music now. It's like all those guys that were writing the song the, the pop rock songs in the in the early two thousands. Um, so many of those guys have jobs as songwriters now mm-hmm. um, because it's one might argue uh, exactly the same. <laughs> you know, you, you, you put up a, a, a hootie and the blowfish song, uh, especially off their first record. You put that up against, you know, eight out of 10 songs that you hear on, on uh, hit country radio now pretty darn similar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of those folks, uh, just kind of seamlessly transitioned into songwriting. Um, and so that's kind of what I did too. Um, but if, boy, you know, when you sort of project out into the future, I, I was having a tough time seeing myself writing uh, that music for a long period of time, especially considering it wasn't uh, pulsating through my veins the way that uh, other genres do. Yeah, you gotta you gotta like what you do too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was super fun, super fun. But like, it's a long term thing. That that was a little tougher to see. Yeah. Uh, so so, latest gig is writing for the um, 
the Stereo Embers magazine. Tell tell me about that. Yeah, good good magazine. Been writing been writing for them for years and years now. Um, just a real good uh, sort of indie magazine, um, and it's you know it's it's very uh, the the editor of that that magazine is a guy named Alex Green, and he's he's really well known here in the Bay Area as a as a critic and. He was he was actually one of the first one of the first folks that were on the the County Crows train um, okay. back when they were just getting going. So that kind of he was sort of always synonymous with with those guys. Um, so just a real fun fun loose magazine to be writing for. And um, gosh, there's been a number of different columns uh, along the along the period. I, I used to do a Screaming Life uh, column that was an interview column. Um, that was sort of, you know, kind of an, like artist talking artist type of yeah. setup. And that was always really fun. And, um, but was looking at some of that, some of the folks that showed up in that, in that, uh, in that realm. And some of the, some of your guests, uh, actually, I, I noticed, um, the, the Glenn Phillipses of the world and people like that were, uh, would, would make appearances in that column. Um, as well as a couple of guests you guys should really have. I keep I keep hearing you guys talking about getting Will Hogue on this show. Oh, it's you got to get that dude on. It's a touch. It's a touchy yeah. subject. <laughs> it, it's, it's becoming tough, huh? I get you know it's just um, yeah. I, I, we we've talked we've talked on the podcast a couple times. We just had yeah. uh, the the episode that just came out um, at the time that we're recording this is with Scott Terry and you know mm. Will Hogue produced uh their red wanting blues last full full record and oh yeah you know scott was like hey how come you haven't had one yet and i'm like yeah. uh, uh-huh. we we tried we t- we tried multiple times and he, and his schedule just, just he got work. busy and yep. honestly i i i don't right now and i uh, Every time I say this, I, it sounds pretentious when I say it, Wayne. I don't, I don't need to to to, to chase guests right now. Like, yeah, they're, it was good. You know, it's a it's a great it's a great problem to have. Where I'm like, yeah, you know, people are like, hey, I'd really like to come on your show. I'm like, I don't, have, I don't have a slot for you for two months. So yeah, yeah. Um, so so with that, as much as I would love to have Will on the show. <laughs> I just I don't I don't want to expend any energy trying to yeah. chase him to yeah. come on. So it'll yeah. it'll fair, fair I enough. think it'll I think it'll eventually it'll happen. happen. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great problem to have. I I was trying to think um, way back to when I actually started listening to your all show. Um, it was a couple episodes that I caught. Feel like I need to reach out to these guys, see if I might be able to snag myself a spot here because I love the premise and and uh, one of the things too, I, I you know even doing this record that we're going to talk about today, but, you know, was so difficult. Um, but I, I I appreciate very much the the ability to just sort of take on some of these records and and maybe demystify their their lore a little bit. Um, you'd had an episode a few episodes ago. Um, that was Jeff Buckley Grace. Yeah, that, that. Uh, I really enjoyed. But that you know, that's one of those records that in my mind, I'm like, I don't even know how you talk about that record. Like, how do you how do you talk about a record that's that good um, and uh, that important to so many people? 
Um, but your, your conversation was, was brilliant about it, you know? So, uh, it, it yeah, helps, certainly it helps when the guests are somebody like Shannon Labrie, who's just, oh, yeah, she's, she's so amazing. She's so great. Yep. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It, it actually made me feel a little bit better about, uh, taking this record on, um, <laughs> uh, as far as like, all right, well, like, you can talk about you can talk about that record. We can find a way to talk about uh, this record. That's again just so, like, so deeply important to so many people. Yeah. Uh, so one one last thing before we dive into yeah. the, the record that you chose. So uh, on your website, you do have a blog of of various uh, posts. Um, the last one that I read was uh, in regards to Foo Fighters. Um, yeah. I did spend some time with your, your one blog, uh, post about, uh, REM. You kind of did a, mm-hmm. a, a top 10 of not the hits, but kind of the, yeah, the best of the rest. Yeah. yeah. The best of the rest. So th- there were a couple, there were a couple on here that kind of stuck out that I'm like, maybe I need to go revisit that. So you yeah. have, you have on here leaving New York from around the sun, which I, I love that song. Mm, but, yeah. but I but I don't really love that record. That's probably my no. least favorite REM record. Do it? Am I am I wrong in dismissing it? No. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. No. No. Uh, yeah. No. And that um, that that record's a it's a tough sell. I think it's a I think it's a tough sell for any uh, real real deep fan too. Um, what I what I do find myself arguing for. Uh, in their catalog is is the very end love the last um, two yeah exactly yeah i think they, they uh while those those records at the time didn't necessarily receive a, a ton of attention um boy that they they ended on a really strong really rocking note actually collapse into now is mm. fantastic record that that and <laughs> yeah and you and you had put on their um, that someone is you, that was your, your pick from there. Yeah. I, I would have picked mine. Smell like honey. Great. Yeah. Great tune. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I had, uh, the, the exercise of that, uh, of that column is sort of like pick 10, uh, and, uh, much like, uh, scoring these, uh, these records, uh, the way that you guys do it's that is a, it is a, a bear of a task to like whittle down, uh, especially with those, you know, those couple bands that I, I started out that column with. It was like, all right, I'm going to try to do it with you too. I'm going to try and do it with Foo Fighters. I'm going to try and do it with REM. It's really, really difficult yeah. to go back catalog and pick 10 uh, there's, because there's just, there's so many great songs. There's so many. Yeah. And, and I, I like, I like your, your, your mix. I love strange currencies. That's, that's my, oh, favorite, yeah, yeah. that's my favorite song off of monster. Uh, I, I've never been able to figure out why monster isn't, uh, just, I don't know. Like, I mean that band too. And I, I had said that, I think in my, in my, uh, my post about that, uh, that's, uh, they're, they're a little bit of a confusing band to me now because I, I can't quite figure out why, they don't seem to have the sustaining sort of current vibe that, that some of those other bands have um, in that they're not like if they're for a band that's as hugely influential and important, they're not name checked. 
uh, I find in the way that, that some of the other bands that are sort of on that echelon are, are pretty commonly, uh, discussed. Um, so I'm a little, I'm a little bemused about that. I'm like, what, why don't people talk about REM? Yeah. What, what do you think that it is, Wayne? You know, I don't know. Cause they're one of my favorite bands like ever since the first time I heard them. I've never, for sure. you know, maybe some records weren't my favorite, but I've never listened to an REM record and thought this is horrible. They've jumped the shark or anything like that. They, they seem to genuinely just go in and like I say, I love when, when four guys stay together, you can tell that they, they you know, they clearly uh, make magic together. And like I say, I love the way they went out where they just stopped. They're not, you know, they didn't break up. They just retired. You know, they don't have any desire to do another band with anybody else. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, to me, I mean, they seem so influential when you listen to, especially a lot of the artists that we have on the show. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're not name checked to the degree I would have thought. I guess no. they're not flashy. It's, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, with that, I, I, I've, I've not been able to figure that out. They're not sexy. Yeah. But the, but the records, I mean, obviously it's just like classic after classic, um, and and also like to your point, Wayne, the like classic building blocks for so many, so many artists. Um, it's, a, it's a it's an odd thing. I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about the the like post Bill Berry era um, and and what that meant. But I I, I don't know if that that I, had an has a, has an impact like a lasting impact on how they're viewed. But maybe there's still some cool records there. Yeah, I so. Looking at your list, I noticed that there's nothing from their album up. It was, uh, and I know that that's one album yeah. that everyone kind of dismisses. I love that record. Yeah. Do you? I, yeah, I really do. Falls to Climb is mm. probably one of if I if I had to put together a, a top ten of the rest, that song would be on my top ten uh, of yeah. the rest. Wow. Um, I would probably put Untitled from Green. They're Green, like yeah. the, the, the secret track or whatever you call it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Is Supernatural super serious? Is that too commercial <laughs> for the for the list? <laughs> no. I mean because it, it did get it did get some play on like, you know, yeah. FM or Sirius or whatever it was. Yeah, and, and, and no, uh, to answer your questions, you know, if you look at the way I did uh even even some of those other lists from some of those other bands, I, I didn't stay away from from songs that were singles exclusively it was just more like trying to draw a, a fairly broad distinction between them yeah like the Cause, hit because strange currencies was a single that was a single yeah 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 um pretty fun exercise though uh just anyway um to, to kind of try and come up with 10 just just a clean 10 great kind of back catalog songs um all right we we probably need to switch gears because I'm. I, yeah. I I could spend another hour just talking. Yeah, no, right. I'm right. I'm on record of saying REM is my favorite 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 band of all time. Oh really? Like top top of the heap, huh? Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. I mean that that is that's one of my palate cleanser bands. Yeah. So there's there's been a few episodes Wayne that we've done where I needed the palate cleanser after we <laughs> we, yeah. we did it and uh, <laughs> I went to I went back to Samaria for that. 
or some yeah, Pearl Jam or some Posies. Yeah, like, those are those are some of my other palate cleanse. Yeah, those they, they'd be on my list too. Yeah. Um, I I would have to throw uh, like literally those, and then um, I'm just I just couldn't be a bigger Sean Smith guy. Um, yeah. So any whether it be the Brad records or the Satchel records from a, from a, a palate cleanser. It's just maybe, maybe my go-to every time. I will, I will always associate Sean Smith with Wayne Fugate. <laughs> oh, Wayne, are, Wayne, are you a Sean Smith guy? Oh, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I came out to Seattle to visit, to visit my folks, um, a couple of years ago. And, and, it was to visit my folks, but also to see Bob Mould live because oh, I'd never yeah. seen Bob live. And so um, mm-hmm. Wayne and I went and saw Bob. And unfortunately, the night before we saw him, Sean Smith passed away. Oh, that's there, there you go. I, don't, I don't know how that's my fault, but I actually saw Sean. It's yeah. not your fault. It's not your fault. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just name association at this point. Yeah. The coolest yeah. thing I saw him do is uh, they used to have this uh, Lane Staley tribute every year at the Showbox, and he did, uh, like, it was just him and an acoustic guitar, and he did uh, Working Class Hero. Oh. And it was, wow. Uh, yeah, it was super moving. Oh. He, uh, yeah. Well, God, like, right. You do a, Multiple episodes on Bob Mould, multiple episodes on Sean Smith. Um, yeah. I, I actually saw, it was interesting, I, my one real quick Sean Smith story. Um, I had actually seen Brad multiple times on the, the various little tours that they would do. Um, so I counted myself really lucky to actually see, I've seen that band. Absolutely. Um, but I saw really close to before he passed away, this – you know, you're kind of tracking who's going to be in town in, in San Francisco and, and his name comes up. It's like an evening with Sean Smith. I was like, what? Like, like there's no tour. There was nothing for him to be supporting. Uh, I was like, what is this? Why is Sean Smith playing a show, a random show at Cafe du Nord in San Francisco? So I was like, obviously I'm not going to miss that. So I show up like, you know, curious and a little confused about the proceedings come to realize that the show is, you know, you, you're sort of like who would be at a Sean Smith show, right? So you're sort of like, okay, well, who's, who would even be there? The crowd, it was a small crowd, but the crowd seemed to all know each other. Like everybody's kind of hugging each other, saying hello. It's like, hey, this is interesting. Like what, what's going on here? Like, what? Like, this is an odd setup. And, and so the, the opening band gets up and they play and the crowd goes nuts. Like just crazy nuts. I've never heard of this band. I have no idea who they are, but the 150 people that are there are just going crazy for this band. Sean Smith then just walks out onto the stage and, and starts his set backed by this band. Turns out the show is a 35th birthday party for this guy. And, and it's, it's the college band that he played in and all the friends associated with this band from college. And they had just called Sean Smith up to see if they could fly him down to just play with them because Sean Smith was their favorite artist. And he said, yes. So it was like a, it was like a rock and roll high school. Like, like, like then the band is trying to play 20th century or something with Sean, like trying to hang in there and like play these Sean Smith catalog songs. 
which was just a train wreck of, of amazing proportions, but also endlessly entertaining. Um, <laughs> I think I, I, I literally think he passed away a, a month or so later. Uh, um, could expound on that guy forever. It's what a special talent to, to, to kind of wind this up to the record that we're talking about. So if you guys, if the listeners are not familiar with Brad, so no. that was, that was, that was a band that Sean and Stone Gossard, who is in Temple of the Dog that we're going to talk about, they did. And also to, to kind of do a, a bring this back together, uh, the drummer for Brad. Yeah, Reagan Hager. Reagan Hager. Reagan yeah. Hager. Played yeah. with Andrew Wood in Malfunction. Malfunction. Yep. So yeah. there we go. Doing lots of name dropping here. For- well, and and you know this uh, this this record that we're we've we've been hinting for for a long period of time that we're about to talk about is just as incestuous uh, a Seattle conglomerate yeah. as any of these other uh, as any of these other projects. Yeah. All right. So so tell our listeners what what album you chose to revisit for your episode. We are bravely taking on Temple of the Dog. And so Temple of the Dog. Formed in Seattle after Andrew Wood, who is the lead singer of Malfunction and Mother Love Bone, passed away. Um, this is an interesting story because do do you think that if if Pearl Jam and Soundgarden hadn't reached the proportion that they did, would any of us know about this record? No. Well, it got played around here on Hard Rock. KSW played it when it first came out. The, but yeah, I, I don't know that it would have gone past locally. I yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And I actually went back and and looked very closely at the dates, um, just to to as I was kind of preparing to talk about it. Um, sort of noting the the very you you can kind of see it on the sales too that you know that mm-hmm. the the album comes out in the spring of ninety one. Um, which is actually ahead of September 91 was Bad Motorfinger and August 91 was 10. So, right. so the timing was sort of curious, but you know, by the next summer, 92, it's a platinum selling, you know, Temple of the Dog is platinum yeah. selling. Right. Um, so personnel on this one, of course, Chris Cornell, this is, this is really Chris's Chris's record. Um, he's on lead vocals for every song. You've got Mike McCready, Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament um, on bass. You've got Matt Cameron, who is in Soundgarden and is now in Pearl Jam on drums. And then, yes, Eddie Vedder is on some of the the, the backing vocals and the co lead vocals. My question with looking at the personnel is, do you guys find it odd that Kim Thale is not on this record at all? I don't find it odd. I know that you can't, like, when you listen to this record, it, it, and lots of times it's, it sounds a little bit like Soundgarden, but without Kim Thale, you really can't feel fully like a Soundgarden. But it actually, to me, in a yeah. lot of places, sounds a lot more like something Mother Love Bone would have done musically in a lot of spots. Mm. Yeah, it sounds more like a Mother Love Bone record than a Soundgarden record to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I would agree, and and, it, and maybe I, that's the point. Yeah, I, I was gonna yeah, say I, 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 
I, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, pretty recent book um, that Corbin Reef wrote. Um, the total we had him on. Yeah, total effing so. godhead. Yeah. Um, did you have him on? He, he's a cool guy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he is. I had. Uh, oh wow! I didn't even know. I've got to look back and and check that episode out. But um, we did bad motor finger. <laughs> of course you did. Um, so so I had you know fairly recently. Uh, check that book out. Um, and, 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 and they certainly, he, he makes a great argument that, that the timing is, is very key as far as like the, the sort of in between time when they actually cut this record, um, between sort of where the Soundgarden records are when Andy Wood passes away. Um, even Mookie Blaylock, Mookie Blaylock Pearl Jam at the time, kind of where they are kind of just getting their thing together. Um, so this, this the, the actual recording of this record fits in at a really interesting moment um, where it's, you sort of, yeah, the, the personnel ends up being what the personnel is and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, let's, let's, let's jump into it. Uh, as a reminder, our scoring for these songs are based on the number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Ten. Which means our top song is going to get 10 points. Nick's favorite, nine points on Dan to the lowest score of one. Uh, Sean, did you notice how excited he was when he said 10? <laughs> I'm looking out for you, Wayne. Yeah, we're, we, we've, we've been doing a lot of episodes where there's you know, 15, 16 songs on it. So anytime that there's nine or 10 songs only, Wayne, Wayne's super excited. Well, so. it is a little bit of a unicorn to have a, a 90s record. It's this short too. Yeah, the advent of the CD started moving yeah. up playlist uh, trackless. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's kick this off. This is "Say Hello to Heaven." You, you almost see with that title, you almost think that maybe Prince wrote it because <laughs> you got the, the number two instead of the letter mm-hmm. two. Anyways, um, I will say this. All the lyrics and music on this album are Chris Cornell, unless I otherwise say something about it. Um, so this is all Chris. Uh, six minutes, 24 seconds. Is that too long for an opening track like this, or does that kind of set the mood for the rest of the record? It plays it plays shorter. It it does one of those songs that you don't realize if if some I in fact I didn't realize it was six minutes uh, initially. It plays uh, quicker. It plays a lot faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree, and I also think uh, as far as like a mission statement. For the record goes uh hard to hard to argue with the setting it setting up is this is this your opening track yeah I, I think with what the record is about i think this is the best way to start it um like this is my favorite song on this record and i think a lot of it is because 
Um, there's this this topic can get cliche really quick, and he never he never does. He's he's you can this is a heartfelt and genuine tribute from one friend to another, um, and that that shows through. I I love and like I say the lyrics. I love uh, some of the references are this the verse where he references Zana, um, which isn't it's it's not extremely flattering. Um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, I also think too, um, it, again, it's, a, it's an interesting record to have a, a, a long relationship with because at the time when this, you know, you, you first hear this record and you're referencing, you're essentially referencing Soundgarden. You're, you're referencing Cornell in, in the music that you have up until, you know, the nineties, the you know, up until, uh, you know, Bad Motor Finger comes out, um, you know, thereabouts. Um, and, and so if that's your, if that's the context in which you are then coming into this record with, to hear him so directly write lyrics about how he thinks and feels is to me, one of the great sort of lasting legacies of the record, because he hadn't done it on any of the previous Soundgarden records. That's not the kinds of songs he wrote. It's not the kind of lyrics writer he was really up until this point, at least on the, the records that were out there. Um, so pretty powerful to, and it's, you know, the, again, this song uh, is the sort of first track you hear. Uh, it's very like, wow, he's Cornell's writing a song about his own self. Um, and, and in a very plain spoken language too, I, I would add. Yeah. I'm thinking back at the, bad motor finger lyrics that none of them were as super personal as this. I don't think. No, I mean, there are a couple of songs on here, which I think fit into that Chris Cornell real like visceral words where it's just not so much the sentence, but the words that he chooses to use. But yeah, this one particularly is, I can say this is probably as, as, as fine a tribute to your to your you know departed friend as as uh, anybody's ever done yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, not to mention um, from the band perspective uh, probably saying this uh, often as we go through these songs but uh, the 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 bluesy the bluesy McCready stuff on this song uh, has really stayed with me um, all these years yeah. I'm assuming Mad Season, you like that one as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of my finds at uh, Goodwill recently, Wayne. Yeah, McCready is, like I say, he. It's I had read that he, because uh, he's been friends with, like there was a, I don't know where this neighborhood is, but uh, the Freeze Brothers, John and Chris, Duff mm-hmm. McKagan, Mike McCready, Stone Gossard, like they all lived in the in this general area. In fact, I was listening to a Carrie Ockrey's podcast and they were talking about how Duff McKagan showed up to their, you know, parents' house and they're all playing basketball in the front of the garage with a guitar strung to his back and said he was <laughs> he was going to LA. I'm going to LA. Yeah, and I and he did. Uh, and yeah. You know, and like I say, my he uh, one of the best concerts I've recently seen was uh Duff McKagan's show and he brought McCready out. They've known he said he known these, you know, known him since he was 14 and he I guess he took a, he had a band, like a kind of a hair metal band that went to LA and didn't make it. And he stopped playing guitar for a while, went to school and 
set it aside and somebody I may have even been Stone Gossard got him to to pull it out and he's he's an extremely talented guitar player. Oh, I mean, yeah, we could we could we could gush on that guy um and still yeah. not probably I, um I feel like Wayne you you're bringing Duff up again because you want me to reach out to his management again. Oh, uh, you know what? Duff McKagan is a is a is a, a unicorn dream that's a dream. But he, that was a great show. Like I say, uh, Mike McCready came on and they did a Bowie song. Shooter Jennings played piano. They did, and he did a, he actually opened and did a Bowie song. They did Clamp Down by the Clash. It, yeah. was, it was a great show. Wayne, I, Wayne, I, I caught that, I caught that show uh, in San Francisco um, on that that Duff's Tenderness tour. Uh, oh. Yeah, so I, I, I 100% agree, and um, it's kind of hard to not romanticize all these characters hanging out, shooting hoops together. You know, the idea that like, that's, like that's the neighborhood and like yeah. you know, Duff rolls by on his, you know, his way out of town. It's just, it's hard to not, yeah, romanticize that a little bit um, th- these many years out. Um, I saw, um, I saw the Temple of the Dog tour, the 2016 tour. Um, they had two nights here in San Francisco. Where they, yeah, you got to bring um, that up. Which, Sorry. which just, I don't, well, it, it maybe was, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to wrap your head around the, you know, greatest concert you've ever seen or whatever, you know, I don't know how it's not in my top three just immediately, but, uh, McCree, you know, to see these songs played live, is sort of one thing, but really, and you know, we'll, we'll get to reach down here in a second too, but like McCready, it's kind of crazy then to kind of see that guy just kind of splitting off some of these leads and, and it's just your, your, your mind is kind of blown by that guy. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's get scores. Wayne, what do you got? 10. This is my favorite song. Sean. I'm in an eight. This is my nine. Spoiler alert. This is number one. Should we just stop right there? This is <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. We got nine more to talk about. All right. Um, I will say this. We also have some listener picks. Uh, we had uh, five individuals who wanted to uh, chime in with their, with their scores. Uh, this, this also scored really high with, with them as well. So uh, Eric Therio, um, I hope that I pronounced it right this time, Eric, um, since I slaughtered it the last time you gave me listener scores, uh, you gave a nine for that. Tim McKay gave it a 10 and, uh, Tony Kuzminski uh, gave that his nine. So also tracked very well with the listeners as well. All right. Next song, Reach Down. Get us get us started with this because um, I know how you feel about a ten minute long yeah. song. This is eleven it, minutes, and I, it's not that I have a problem with eleven minute songs. It's that sometimes I mean you have to pull off eleven minutes, and in this case, I don't know that that it warrants eleven minutes. Um, the chorus is solid, but some of the cliches and some of that some of that stuff that he completely avoided in the first song, he gets 
he gets a little bit caught up in in this one. Um, but I love that that sludgy ba- uh, Black Sabbath bass that that starts it out. It really uh, it it really gets the thing. Like I say, for the first five or six minutes, this song is great. But that it just continues on past the point where I felt like it, it was necessary. And there's no. It's not like there's any really you know spectacular instrumentation. It just goes on for 11 minutes. Yeah. I kind of had forgotten about this song. I, um, I, I had to go pick my daughter up from, from college in Virginia. So I did a little road trip and, you know, when you, when you're on a road trip, you want songs that you can like sing along to, or at least I do. And this was one where about at the six minute mark, I'm like, how long is this freaking song? So that that's that's my biggest complaint on this song but sean what do you got on this one yeah this one was really tough for me um and again on a, on a doing 10 songs uh to to rate it's just gnarly um it's exercise in the first place but it, it it's hard for me because there's parts of the the instrumentation and the arrangements and stuff that has always really resonated with me um, in the sense that, that McCready, you know, it's like, it's like a seven minute guitar solo. Um, and it's kind of at times it will sort of strike me as like, oh, it's just great to hear McCready just go nuts. Um, and the other part of this, and I don't want to, I don't want to create a, an issue with the, uh, the Pearl Jam fans, uh, either either currently uh, talking or uh, listening, um, but but for me, one of my biggest complaints about the way in which um, Pearl Jam has sort of done records over the years is that I never really like. I feel like that's a tremendous rhythm section that that doesn't ever really get that loose, and and it's things are are pretty tight. Uh, often on the on the records and Mm. this song is anything but that and so for me my ear can sort of travel to how fun it is to just hear those dudes have a lead like a loose pocket because they're they're as individual players i really love matt cameron as a player i really love jeff ammon as a bassist um and i don't always get to enjoy them on pro jam records (laughs) i guess is my is my uh my short and sweet thought about that no, I get that. But I also understand it from, from the standpoint of people want to hear Matt Cameron. People want to hear Mike McCready. So I get it. Yeah. You get, you get 11 minutes of it on this one. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. All right. Um, scores. Wayne, what do you got? Three. Sean? Uh, five. And this is my two. And then over to the listeners, um, Tony Kuzminski had it as high as his eight. Tim McKay had this as lowest. Gavin Williamson, lowest. Um, Eric, that he's middle of the pack there. So, all right. I had a, I had a quick, I had a super quick question for you guys. Yeah. Um, in, in the sort of track order of this, um, one, it's sort of striking me that like you go, one, two with two really long songs. You also go one, two with the two uh, straight out dedication songs. Mm-hmm. 
and the first two that were written. Yeah, these were. I mean, these were the songs. Yeah, these um, were the songs that inspired the whole thing. Yeah, so I just didn't know if if, if either of you uh, sort of thought anything of that as far as um, yeah, whether it be track listing or just thematically, like you literally go, here's the dedications right here. I don't know. I mean, I there's a couple songs in the middle that I think are not necessarily tribute songs, but they're like um, lament type songs of why they even put this record together, you know, is because of Andrew's death. Um, I don't know. I usually I pay attention to the sequencing stuff. And uh, for this one, I guess I just, I didn't. Um, Good point, Sean. Yeah. It's it's always struck me as kind of interesting that, um, but also when you, when you get, when you listed out the, uh, the, the length of, uh, say hello to heaven, I was like, Oh yeah, that is a long song. That's like two long songs right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're already 20 minutes into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next song is hunger strike. This is um, this became a an MTV darling in early '92 because Pearl Jam and Soundgarden both had kind of hit their stride and were were getting popular. I guess it was summer of '92, right? Summer of '92 yeah. when yeah. this really became uh, popular. Um, peaked at number four on the mainstream rock charts and number seven on the modern rock tracks, which someone explained to me what the difference is between the two of those. I don't know. And it's just, it's such a great song. Like I, I wish that Cornell and, and, and Vetter had done more stuff together because it just, it works so well. Plus, I think each of them are kind of pushing the other one along. Oh yeah, you can you can howl. I can howl too. Well, I, I would. Yeah, Chris Cornell's got the best scream in rock and roll. Our past tense, but uh, the, their voices together is special. That's for sure. That that low and that high, uh, it's that's <laughs> that's tough to beat. Um, but I love this lyrically. This is the one that has a very. Uh, bad motor finger kind of feel to it where he just, he uses just these great words, powerless, decadent, slaves, choking, hunger, stealing. He just use all these really great words that just by themselves create this, um, just this complete angst. Um, And then, like I say, the combination of their voices is, is special. uh, In, 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 in lifting out the, some of those standout words when you, you basically, basically covered every lyric of the song. Uh, that's how. That's how short. That's how short. Yeah, there's it is, not yeah. a whole lot lyrically. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, yeah. what? Any any other comments on this? Yeah. One? I, you know, 
it's it's kind of one of those songs, right? Like so much lore and history around, you know, around the story of Eddie Vedder's hanging out, at the, you know, one night in the studio, and and does he does he kind of sneak over to a mic? Is you know, do they, you know, it, it kind of how that all comes together? It's Eddie Vedder's first uh, first vocal on a yeah. on a record, his first recording of his voice. Um, yeah. Again, sort of historically significant uh, tr- little little track here uh, in so many ways. Uh, also interesting, I didn't realize, um, but in that uh, in the book um, that we were talking about earlier, it was mentioned that that this song was was the afterthought song that they had. They had their nine songs and needed one more, and this was the this was what happened, um, which. It's sort of unbelievable to think about it that way. If Wayne was producer, he would have said, "Nope, nine is enough." No, that's not true. This is uh, this is a special song. It's like Mike McCready, um just shines on this one, and uh, this is where you know, like I say, most people I think really really get to see on this. This is where he, his biggest solo, I think, is and his best solo on this record is here, but. Yeah, that, this is so full of lore. Like I say, the idea that this kid from San Diego who's just come up to kind of audition for this band, yeah. <laughs> you know, sees that Chris Cornell isn't getting the sound that he wants, and he and he instinctively somehow walks over to the mic and 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 brings what the song needs. And like I say, it, the whole thing is is the thing of fairy tales, yeah. folklore. Yeah, it, is, it totally reads that way. And and also the generosity of of Cornell likely in those, you know, and ever how that ever how that plays out, but just in general, to sort of have that um, have that be a you know yeah come be a part of this song. Yeah, um, that's great. I was gonna say being Seattle guys, the Discovery Park video uh, <laughs> stuck out stuck out to me too. Yeah, weren't we supposed to see a Pearl Jam? Um, uh, concert at that park no i was at gasworks that was gasworks that was gasworks which got canceled like six hours before it was supposed to happen (laughs) still pissed off about that one yeah well i could say the city didn't i don't know i don't think anybody realized there was was hundreds of thousands tens of thousands of people showed up for, for this for what was supposed to be a a free secret concert you and I were going to go to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't, I don't think we would have made it out there. No, but I'm still bitter. All right. Um, <laughs> listener scores. Uh, everybody picked this as their top song. Um, actually, Tim McKay picked it as his nine. Tony, Gavin, Eric all picked this as their ten. Uh, Wayne, what do you got? Eight. Sean, what do you got? This is a begrudging six. Um, that I know I'll have to defend later. Uh, <laughs> you, you will, you will. Yeah. yeah. All right. This is my top song. I love it. It's, oh, wow. it's still, yeah. it's still, it's still one that I go to on a regular basis. All right. Next song, pushing forward back.
I don't have a whole lot of notes on this other than this feels like a Soundgarden song. Uh, lyrics by Chris, music by Stone and Jeff, which is kind of interesting um, because I wrote that. This sounds like a Soundgarden song before I found out that the music was Stone and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was more of a, I thought it had more of a mother love bone feel. Um, okay. With all right off the bat with all that distorted guitar. And then I love Matt Cameron. Um, it's a ton of cymbal work in this song. And especially since the song is so heavy, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that there's so much cymbal work in it, but it's, like I say, there's this, I don't know, there's not a lot of words to it, but that chorus, when it, it rises up to it, um, and just that, that angst in his voice about, you know, pushing so hard, you could just feel how hard he's pushing forward and he's, and he's, and he's falling backwards. Um, it just has, there's a, just a ton of raw emotion in this song. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, I think part of what makes, um, I kind of can always connected it to Soundgarden too, but it, it's a it's in seven four, uh, I believe time signature, okay. Which may be why it to the ear might might pull somebody towards kind of a Soundgarden vibe because it's a little odd. It's an odd, um, it's an odd signature. I this one this one uh, was like always fine, you know. It's like this song was always fine with me, um, and it was just kind of a like it was represented kind of a jam. Kind of same thing in that like little looser, little looser uh, opportunity to hear that rhythm section just kind of sit out there in a pocket. Um, but beyond that, I, I I never really thought too much about the song. Yeah. All right. Let's get scores. Wayne, what do you got? Nine. He's the hard rock guy in this yeah. duo. Yeah. You can, you can tell. Uh, yeah. Sean, what do you got? I'm at three. All right. This is my seven. And then for the listeners, um, they were all over the place. Eric had a seven, Gavin nine, Tim five, Tony three. And um, all right, next song, Call Me a Dog. You call me a dog, well that's fair. Uh, the ending of this song when Chris goes all Chris Cornell. Yeah, that redeems this song for me. Um, piano on this song is Rakish Rick. Am I saying the last name? Parashar? Yeah, producer, yeah. Uh, big time producer. Um, worked with Allison Chains, worked with Pearl Jam. Um, that is him on the organ in the background on black and Jeremy from 10 and um, it's worked with a lot of different people uh, passed away, unfortunately a few years ago. Uh, but he also, so he, here's his diverse group of artists that he worked with. So blind melon dinosaur, junior Allison chains, Brandy Carlisle, three doors down Nickelback Bon Jovi. He actually was nominated for a Grammy for that Nickelback song. Yeah. So, um, yeah. 
anyways and and he does have a couple other songs on this record that he provides the piano work or organ work on this um Wayne, what do you got on Call Me Dog? Well, it seems like it's from the perspective of Andy um, and kind of centers around his relationship with Zana La Fuente. Um, but there's so many dog references in Mother Love Bone lyrics. Um, that was definitely, that. there was no shortage of dog references in Mother Love Bone songs. But like I say, the, the volatile, this volatile relationship by all accounts um, you know, looking at it from this third person telling the story. And I just, I, I particularly love the verse where he says, you tell me I'm low because I've slept on the floor out in the woods with the badgers and the wolves. You yeah. threw me out because I went digging for gold and I came home with a handful of coal. I mean, that's some great stuff. All right, Sean. Here you go. This is this is where you my, can uh, start defending moment. your scores. Yeah, yeah I do. know. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is my 10, so I'll just, I'll lead, I'll lead with that. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and always has been, um, you know, you, you brought in the, the, the piano and, and all that. It's to hear him sing in between, uh, this tempo of a, of a piano line, um, is just to me sort of heavenly, uh, pretty few and far between in that guy's category or in his uh, catalog. Um, so that just alone is sort of has always blown my mind. Um, I, I, in my own estimation, um, certainly in my own taste, this is my very favorite Chris Cornell vocal on any record that he ever did oh, wow. okay. uh, during his career. It's just sort of seminal in my mind about, um, in that way, um, incredible. I mean, obviously it's a, it's one of the great vocalists, um, in the, in the, in the history of rock. But, um, this I think is just one of the, I mean, for me, kind of the, the crowning achievement of what he does in this song. Um, and kind of flashing back to then seeing him sing it live, um, you just it just shatters you <laughs> that someone can do that with their voice um, without without much power. But like in a in a tempoed song like this, not in like a in your face rocker screechy song, um, which I love all those too. But there's just something about about this song that um, just again from his vocal performance to the to the arrangement is just it's always been my favorite. Interesting. Cool. Uh, Wayne, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite Chris Cornell vocal? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. I still always, I think, and I don't know if it's necessarily the vocal, but I've, I've referenced this before, but I had watched this YouTube video where he, he tells the story of how he was looking for the, the words to one. I believe by Metallica and he came across the words to one by U2. And so he plays musically. He plays one by Metallica and he sings the lyrics to, to one by U2. And I, I don't know why, but I, that just like, it makes me like shake. It's like, it Mm. completely moves me. And I think that it's, it's just so brilliant. And it, and he, you know, and this guy's telling this, 
story. It makes it, it's just, I don't know. The whole thing just is my favorite thing he ever did. I, and I don't know exactly why. Yeah. That's on his yeah. side, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, he, he, uh, he, I, I saw him, uh, in one of the songbook solo tours in San Francisco. Um, and he did that, he did that one way. And it was just, it was one, it's like one of those moments where you're like watching an entire audience it, with a mouth agape, just like, just literally watching minds being blown. Like it just, yeah, unbelievable. I don't, I don't know what I would pick. I, I love his vocals and I am the highway from audio slave. Mm. I really, I really love his, uh, his take on Led Zeppelin's thank you. I get, I get chills every yeah. time I, I hear that, that version. So good. Um, all right. Let me see what the listeners got, uh, for this one. Call me a dog. Uh, Eric eight. Gavin seven, Tim eight, Tim, Tony six, and um, we already got your Sean. Um, this is where we disappoint everybody. Wayne, your score? A five. And this is my six. All right. I, I I feel less bad about it now. Hearing some of the some of the other folks' scores, I, I, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not hanging myself out there too far. The listeners uh, had your back. The listeners yeah. had your back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, next song, Times of Trouble. And this is not one of my top songs. Um, lyrics by Chris, music by Stone. And my notes only have one word, which is smack. It's the only thing I put was smack. Yeah, and I don't, I know, but I think that was a, I mean, to start the song with that, that dark heroin imagery just gets the song in the, in the right place. Cause this, all in all, it's, it's a warning to his friend. Um, it's complete, and it's got a, it's got an objection, you know, an objectiveness to it that you could only do it posthumously. But to me, musically, this is the one that grew on me because this is the one where the piano had the biggest effect mm-hmm. on me because it's got because mm-hmm. Andrew Wood played guitar or piano in a lot of in a lot of Mother Love Bone stuff, and it's so it's got that Elton John kind yeah, of exactly. you know glam ascension into that just into that one line times of trouble that I, I just think is just so powerful. And then this is, I'm not even lying, possibly some of the best harmonica work I've ever yeah. heard. That's what, yeah, that was the first thing on my list too, Cornell's harmonica. All right, somebody explain the lines of, I saw you swinging, swinging your mother's sword. I know you're playing, but sometimes the rules get hard. Anyway. And I don't know if his mother had a drug problem or, or was it, the, or his father, but I know Andrew Wood's, and possibly both of his parents struggled Ooh. with uh, substance abuse too. Okay. This is one of those ones that's, 
again, kind of back to the lore, right? Because this is, this is like OG. I mean, this is, this is footsteps by Pearl Jam. I mean, this is, this is the, on the original tape of the first, you know, Amet Stone songs that they gave to Andy Irons, who then gave to Eddie Vedder. This is on there. So oh. they, this is this is footsteps on Pearl Jam Ten. Okay. Um, you go you go back and and parallel them. It's the same same tune. So Cornell kind of wrote. Uh, he did kind of had his version of it, and and Eddie wrote his version. Um, so a lot of sort of again that like Seattle lore, how this stuff comes about, um, aspect to the actual music. Um, I like that, uh, those initial bars, uh, it sort of gets you every, every time, let alone his like little croon, Cornell's croon as he kind of comes in, but that's, it's just like, so Seattle, <laughs> it's just, it's like, so yeah. that era. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, looking at listener scores, um, Kind of all over the place. Eric gave it a three. Gavin five. Tim four. Tony seven. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Uh, seven. Wayne. Seven. All right, and this is my four. All right, next song, "Wooden Jesus." song about smack no i think this is a poke in the eye to organize religion which i think yeah. fits in you know with the you know you're talking about death and i think a lot of people will go towards that direction just on their own and i i think that chris this to me is the one i like this song um and i like i think the banjo is completely on purpose and i think that's a great commentary um by itself um but once again those you know coat hanger halo that's mm -hmm. That's visceral. Um, and it's got this, like I say, it needs work, but it has some great lines in it. I mean, you know, money on a, on a future grave and cut you in on 20% oh, yeah. of my future sin. He's got, there's, there's so, there's a lot here, um, but it does have a kind of an unfinished feel to it. Totally agree. And, and for all those reasons is why I love this song. Uh, it, 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 every, yeah, every, every one of those reasons went. Uh, it's like, it's almost like it's a little sloppy. Um, and, uh, but it's got that kind of organic, again, that sort of organic acoustic-y feel that, with, the, with the, the way the banjo plays. Then kind of builds into a, a kind of big old rock moment with like a big old McCready solo. Um, the, the plain spoken lyrics. Um, I mean, in my mind, if it, you know, it's sort of quintessential, like all the things from the record, like, 
as far as the the project itself, sort of all in one place. I think it's the song that represents the the project actually, um, in the in the most like well rounded sense. Um, but I also know that like <laughs> this is the song that I would have to defend my number uh, the strongest likely. Um, <laughs> I have this one really high. <laughs> what is your score, Sean? I'm in a nine on Wooden Jesus. All right. Nice. I, you know, and it's one of those ones. This is the one I I feel. I I, I don't feel. I just I gave it a four, but it's not. It isn't because I don't like the song. It's just that I I just it was tough to score it. But it's not. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I I can say it's one of those songs that every time it comes on, I I kind of you know smile. Like I I think he's being. He, he's, he, you know, his, it's very biting and he's, yeah. you know, he's taking him to task. And, and this is at the time, this is a pretty young man. Um, and, you know, he's probably a little, he just lost his friend and he's, he's, there's a bitterness to it that I <laughs> frankly like. So, yeah, me too. Yeah. Wayne. All right. Um, <laughs> this is my, this is my five, uh, looking at listener scores. Um, they're kind of with you, uh, Sean. Uh, actually, actually, they're kind of with me, and they're with. Uh, so, Eric and range. Tony both gave this a two, and then Gavin and Tim. Gavin gave it an eight. Tim gave it a seven. So, wow, this is a divisive song. Apparently, yeah. all right. Next song, your savior. All right, so Wayne, you 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 said that the last song was not about drugs. Uh, is this song about drugs, or is this another swipe at organized religion? You know, this one I didn't. It did. You know, there's something about how it sounds that, um, and it's also a lot of it's in the drums. But this is the one song that didn't. It didn't sound right. It just didn't feel like it sounded like a. Pearl Jam song or a Soundgarden song or a Mother Love Bone song. It it almost it just sounded like just didn't sound right. It didn't sound like the guys that I knew were playing on this record should sound. Interesting. Okay. Sean, what do you what do you have to say about that? Yeah. I, I, I think that's a I think it's a fair point. Um the only thing that I ever liked about this song was was Matt Cameron. Um, in that again, it's like, there's kind of a pretty sweet little groove happening. Um, and he, he gets some, he gets some fills in and, uh, that was, that was kind of it. Yeah. You know, this was, I could, I could just as easily skip this one. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think my criticism for this one is I feel like the guitar, the guitar work is the same on pushing forward back, but without the really cool rhythm section of that song. Yeah. It sounds like it's a little redundant. A little bit. Yeah. I think Wayne was trying to um, foreshadow his low score. Um, <laughs> Wayne, your score. This was my least favorite. I gave it a one. All right. This is my three. And then Sean. I'm a two. 
And this was uh, another one that our listeners were kind of all over the place. So um, Eric and Tim gave it a six, and then Gavin, three, Tony, four. So interesting. All right, next song, Four Walled World. And that's, um, I almost didn't pronounce that correctly. Um, yeah, hard one to say fast. Yeah, uh, that's a hard one to say fast. Yeah. All right, lyrics by lyrics by Chris, music by Stone. This is another one that's long, second longest song on the record, clocking at six minutes fifty four seconds, and um, it does feel like a six minutes and fifty four second song. It it drags for me. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is my least favorite song on it. Um, yeah. I don't my I don't mind the lyrics. I think they're, I mean, they're nothing super um but i i I dig it um kind of goes back to he tries to 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 bring it back to the four-walled world multiple times on this but um yeah i don't really have anything to say on this one uh this is one that i do skip i will say that um wayne what do you got well i i feel like that's got to be stone in the opening the opening guitar yeah. parts of it. It's just, it's, I don't know. There's something so mother love bone about it that Mike McCready, I don't think could, could duplicate it. Um, I think the lyrics really create this, tr- this sense of being trapped that the guitar really accentuates. But I, and I love this, this bluesy nature of the verses, the, what I, but they get away from it in the, in the chorus. And that's the part that, I could say I, I don't know how they would do it, um, but if he could stick to that bluesy part that he you know in the in the verses and somehow skip out of the uh, the chorus, it would it would have gone over better. But yes, this one starts to feel every minute of of seven minutes. Yeah, okay. yeah that's a that's a super valid point. I, I always kind of felt like it was like two songs, sort of like smashed together in a way that didn't didn't really work like you're kind of forcing pieces together because the yeah that that chorus line did not it's like you're the the, the way that 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 verse goes you're like you're 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 kind of headed somewhere and and then the yeah that chorus happens and you're like i don't i did not see this going here and i'm i'm not exceedingly happy that this is where i'm at now um, although I will say the kind of ominous vibe of this song always struck me as, as more of a sound garden vibe. Um, it's, it's kind of got a little bit of that danger. Uh, they just, I don't know, that kind of ominous feel, which to be fair, I also thought was a little misplaced on the record. Um, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. All right. Uh, listener scores. Everybody had this as their least, except for Tim. This was his three. Uh, Wayne, your score? Two. Sean? One. Yeah, this is my one as well. All right, let's wrap this up with All Night Thing. But I'm guessing Ooh, it's an all 
That they would have just said it's all night thing, spelled with yeah, to do it, yeah, like commit to it, yeah, just commit to it. I mean, that's that's really what it is, right? Um, all right, fun fact this was in Wayne's World. Whoa, oh wow, did not make the soundtrack though. Um, one of those, did you guys know that Loud Love did make some versions of the soundtrack? No, not in the U.S. though. Yeah. Weird. Was oh. not included. Not included on all versions. Take that out. Wow. Yeah. It's not on yours. I, I, I've never been to Europe, so I would assume not. <laughs> yeah. It's not on yours because I do remember borrowing your uh, your soundtrack back in the day. So um, it's not on. I want to hear uh, Tia Carrera's version of Fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's right. pretty good. It's pretty right. good. Oh. Uh, uh, what do you guys have to say about this? Good, good way of uh, wrapping up this this record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a sweetness to it. Um, I can say this one sounds different, but not it, not out of place. Different. Um, I really like the organ and the piano with that real deliberate snare of Matt Cameron's. Um, but like I say, overall, it has this this real. There's a sweetness to it, um, and I, I don't think that the she is a woman. I think. I'm going to say it's either it's heroin or death, but it's definitely metaphorical in nature. Don't, don't ruin this song for me. <laughs> he why had a different take that? on it. Huh? Yeah, well, it's it's about a woman. Come on, don't do that to me. Don't ruin that. I'm sorry, but I don't I don't believe that's the case. I leave the romance in it for Ben. All right, Sean, is this a woman or smack? Which one is? Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm going. I'm going romantic on it, um, but but only because my I don't know my fantasy about the song. It just it sort of fits my narrative um, because yeah. he's so he's so Sinatra on this song, like he's so croony, um. In a in a really unique way, again, when you sort of go step all the way back and look at even his his catalog in totality, like this is a really cool you know episode uh, to to kind of fit in there. Um, so that's yeah, kind of always gets, been my my vibe on it. Because he gets high with yeah. the notes, but he doesn't he doesn't howl like no. he does on the the rocker songs. Yeah. So. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like a, like a Sinatra in the dead of night thing happening. Yeah. Um, that was really like, this is the one too in the, in the scoring that like, while I had to defend some higher scores, this one, I, it's like, I would give anything to be able to have it be higher. Like I, I love this song. Same here. <laughs> there's just, there's only 10, right? You like, this is the one that I think it has suffered the most from there being only 10. Well, I stayed true to mine. This is my eight. Oh, there you go. Oh. All right. Wayne, what do you got? Six. 
right. And then Sean. And it is about hair. On I only had a, I only, I only had a four left over, but I, I it hurt. All right. Well, I'll, I'll say the safe, same thing that I, I tell other people. Save some high numbers. It's okay. You can save some high numbers, Sean. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Uh, looking at listener scores. So Eric, Gavin, both had this as their four. Tim had it as his two. Tim, I'm, I'm ashamed of you, Tim. Uh, Tony had it as his five. So uh didn't track well for for them as well all right um i already spoiler alerted the top song um oh yeah so say hello to heaven is our tops um any guesses on number two hunger strike math is gonna math's gonna get weird here yeah yeah we're all over the place so um hunger strike is second call me a dog was our third top song at three or i'm sorry was our third highest at an average score of seven and then we have pushing forward back at number four with a 6.33 and then i got a three-way tie because wayne gave me updated scores this morning So I got a three-way tie for fifth with an average score of six. Times of Trouble, Wooden Jesus, and All Night Thing. What? uh, So really, we only eliminated three songs (laughs) off of our playlist. I was going to say, like, yeah. It's like, and the three are pretty obvious. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're they're pretty obvious. Um, All right. so did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? Um, I say no. The one thing I was wanting to mention um, was the um, the Mad Season with the Seattle Symphony release. Do you guys do you guys know I that don't one? Know that one with the symphony. <laughs> oh, okay. So you got you're gonna have to go back and check this out. Um, and the McCready put it out like they put it out on monkey wrench okay. in 2015 and it's 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 called uh sonic evolution okay but it's it's sort of like mad season with the seattle symphony um and it is it's amazing this is it's just like a, a one night recording that they made um where they do uh it's cornell cornell is singing so they do a handful of the Mad Season songs. Um, Duff, Duff McKagan actually is who they recruited to play bass oh. to kind of fill out Mad Season. And but then they also do uh, "Call Me a Dog" and "Reach Down" um, as as part of the part of the track list. It is uh, oh incredible! It's just I- not not all the songs are with the symphony. Um, only a, a number of them are, but if, if that's not a release that, that you've checked out, I just found it on Spotify. Just find that thing. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just found it on Spotify. It is listed under Sonic evolution. Yeah. It, it's just, I mean, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. Cause guess, guess <laughs> just, just cue that up. I got to go pick up a new piano from, um, for for the house this afternoon. So, um, guess who's going to be listening to that in the uh, moving truck? Yeah, 
Fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Oh, it's, it's incredible. All yeah. All right. Um, John, this has been fun. Oh, this has been amazing. Guys, I just, I, I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have had more fun and I, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the, the le- letting, letting me come on and, uh, talk about such a rad record. Yeah. It's like a, it's like talking about, it's literally like picking the songs. It's literally like, I don't even know. It's like choosing your favorite kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to figure out how to, how to order it. Um, I, uh, I, I, I had been doing a little thought too. It doesn't sound like you're uh, struggling too much for, for future guests, but, uh, I it certainly, certainly would have some suggestions for you. But I still ask, we still ask, who do you yeah. know that I don't know that yeah. could come on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records. So, um, who, who are some suggestions? Well, I, my, 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 my mind goes, goes just endless places, but there's a couple people that, I was thinking more of some musicians um, as opposed to kind of front front people. Um, there's a guy uh, in Oakland here named Uriah Duffy. Um, which I don't know if you know that name, but he's he's been the bass player. And I mean, that's a guy if you Google him, he's like, oh my god, like including the bass player in Whitesnake. I mean, come on, if that's not if that doesn't uh, get a get a guy. Uh, Dude, I love me some white snake from back. In I know you have the white snake. He he's played with everybody. He's like incredible, okay. uh, kind of rock, rock, rock guy, but also has played in a lot of um, soul. Uh, but just like a really cool, fun guy that has great perspective on on records. He would be okay. Great. Um, so that was one guy I was thinking. Um, you've already had on a, a few of the other guys that I would have passed on to you. You get you've had Glenn Glenn Phillips on. You had. Um, actually, have you got, what about Amos Lee? Have you had Amos on the show? I have reached out to Amos's people about a year ago, and then okay. I, I haven't had to reach out to anyone. Yeah, like you haven't that. had to. Okay. No, um, but I would love to have Amos. Oh, dude, that guy. He's, he's amazing. All right. We'll, ch- we'll chat offline. Cause yeah, 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 absolutely. Happy to help. He's one guy that I would, I would really love to talk to. Oh, yeah. And he seems what to be like a music guy. No, he's a geek. Yeah, he would just rap about this stuff. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. 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 He would. He would fit in perfect with what you guys have done. Good. We we like music geeks, and they don't necessarily yeah. need to be. Um. They don't necessarily need to be musicians, as we found out from last episode we just recorded. Right, Wayne. That's right. Yeah. We yeah. had um. We had two-time NL MVP Dill Murphy on for an episode. Oh yes. What record did you guys do? Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. <laughs> the possible record to rate. Uh, that must have, that must have been hard. It was tough. It was tough yeah. for me. Yeah. 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 And I and tough. I think it's... I finally turned Wayne into a Wilco fan. Uh, to be fair, I, I I I get that Wayne and like, but that would be the record. I would think that would have to. Be oh yeah. yeah. No, I I. Uh, I uh... Like I say, that's one of those records that I heard something new every time I listened to it. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, every time I listened to it, I heard something new and I liked it more. I, I was going to ask you guys too, because you, you do this so often. Is there a difference? Like even this record we just did, like like Temple of the Dog. We've all listened to this record a, yeah. a thousands upon thousands <laughs> of times, right? So like, yep. you're not like, 
like kind of to your point you were just making Wayne, you're like you're not you're not likely to be uh recognizing something new that you haven't heard per se um although i will say there's sort of a significant cowbell sound happening on wooden jesus that i'm not sure i ever really thought about but um that aside it's not likely um is it a is it drastically different for you guys to you know kind of go from a like a record you're you're maybe semi-familiar with versus one that you've just heard and heard and heard? You know, it kind of depends. So uh, we're, we're prepping for the next episode, which is on Revolver. Cool. Okay, there we go. And, There's a good example. And, and I, I'm finding stuff out from that record that I wasn't paying attention to because back in the day I was just kind of listening to, Oh, good day, sunshine. That's a fun song. Oh, you know, um, uh, got to get you into my life. is just a fun song. No, there's so many layers to that record. Yeah. Yeah. Like, have you had to, have you guys done pet sounds or something like that? We, we have that scheduled for a couple weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could imagine something like that being similar, like just, it's just too layered. Like there's too many, too many little secrets to, to unlock. There is, there is a lot of stuff on that one for sure. And, and I think with revolver revolver fits right in with pet sounds. Cause I feel like, uh, beach boys and the Beatles were trying to outdo each other at that. Yeah. Point. Yeah. They're out, out trying to out clever each other. Yep. Yeah. And it, and it uh, worked. Some of yeah. some of the best some of the best oh. albums ever. We're still talking oh. about those those late sixties records. We're still yeah. talking about them. Oh yeah, over fifty years later, and will be like just I don't know I don't know how yep. anything anything gets anywhere near that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um. All right. So so tell our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Sean. Oh yeah. Um. You can check out. Uh, I mean, SeanBrownMusic.com is the, the kind of the main site. Stuff is just some of that stuff we were saying is recently up on Spotify. So you can just search me there. Um, Sean Brown Sings is the is Instagram. I've, I've never, ever ventured into the Twitter realm. Um, I, I, I'm strangely fine with it. So there's no, no Twitter, Twitter handle to share. I'm only on it to promote the 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 podcast yeah 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 it makes sense so all right uh you can find all of our happenings you can go to our socials we're like i mentioned at twitter at podcast records on twitter facebook page just check for the records revisited podcast wayne's on instagram what you got there records revisited podcast pretty simple you can find us of course on all the major podcast platforms apple Castbox, stitcher iHeartMedia, spotify google and of course um please go and subscribe and rate or review us we, we we love we love that love so continue to give us some love so thanks for listening please go support the arts i would tell you to go to a live show but you know the drill on that so go support your favorite musicians by checking out their their live streams, uh, go buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, and um, yeah, go mask up, be safe. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. out. out.